In today's show, we're talking New York Knicks, a season preview. They didn't make many changes in the offseason, but they did make one which I think is going to have an impact on how this squad performs. We'll talk about it in a second. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or enter the promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat with any purchase. I haven't got my tech hat yet. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. Thank you also. For making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day, we are free. We are available on all platforms. So we're going to talk Knicks just after Josh Hart has signed that extension, which I think is a pretty fair deal. Um, we're going to talk to Gavin Shaw of the Locked On Knicks podcast. So we might as well get him uh, get him cracking and ready to come in. Welcome back to the show, Gavin. Thanks for having me, Josh. We're here to talk some New York Knicks, a team that has been a little bit tough to project the last couple of seasons. It's been good, and then it's been bad, and it's you know, fire everyone and trade everyone, and it's great again, and now we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes from here. There is a level of optimism around the Knicks, and we're going to talk about all of that in this show, but it is, uh, it, we're, on, we're, on the, we're at the peak here. We're on, we're on the rise. We'll see where it goes now, Gavin. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I've been a Knicks fan since the early 2000s. Um, and you could even go a little further back than that and say this is uh, the best state the team has been in. I think that's the, probably the right word for it. Obviously, they were very good in 12-13, and uh, that was not very sustainable because half the team was 36 or older. So, uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah, you, I, I think you're right. Like, yeah, I've clanned on the Knicks plenty of times in the past because they deserved it. But at the moment, things are look looking much better. That doesn't preclude things going off the rails, and there are still some question marks on certain players and situations on this team, as there is for every team that we're going to talk about, but things are looking a lot better. First-round playoff victory last season against the Cleveland Cavaliers weren't much of a match for the Heat, but that doesn't matter. They're, they're building, and they're looking pretty good. Now, let's talk about how the team looks. They weren't very active in the offseason, Gavin, just a few moves and really only one that matters, really. Dante DiVincenzo comes in. They also get Nathan Knight, Jalen Martin, and Dylan Winler to come on two ways, and they lose Obi Toppin, Derek Rose, and Trevor Keels. But this is the change here. It is Dante DiVincenzo in, Obi Toppin out. And let me just address this straight away. That's a power forward gone for another guard, and there are no other power forwards really on this team. So I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Is Tom Thibodeau playing small ball? He's being forced to play small ball yeah. <laughs> very intentionally because we've learned many a time he will not do so on his own volition. Just wait. It's uh, Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein uh, together is what's going to happen, isn't it? I mean, that that is what happened last year when Obi yeah. Toppin got hurt. So, you know what? You can't. You, 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 it's a joke, but also it, it really happened. And you know what? They, they actually played exceptionally well during that stretch. So what, what, what do we know, Josh? Who, who are we to make fun of Tibbs? But um, I, I think this was 
kind of a calculated move by the front office to force them to at least off the bench, play RJ Barrett, play Josh Hart at power forward, because at least on the offensive end, they functionally used Obi Toppin yeah. as if he were a wing or a guard. He was stationed on the perimeter, wasn't really played to his strengths as a ball screener and a rim runner. Um, and that's obviously something, I mean, if you're going to use him that way, Dante DiVincenzo is better at all those things. Josh Hart is better at all those things. RJ Barrett maybe better at all those things um so i i think i think it's a smart move and there just there really isn't a backup power forward in the east that's going to make the knicks pay for that now if julius Randle gets hurt that's where you might have some issues yeah i think they're cooked if julius Randle gets hurt too to be honest but that's a question i'm going to ask you later on but it is an interesting thing to do because what i also think is that josh hart and rj barrett function better playing as power forwards they might not be that size, but that's what their game is anyway. You can't rely upon them to shoot from the outside. Um, yeah, Barrett's a, a bigger body who can drive a little bit. Hart's an aggressive rebounder and defender. Like They actually play better. Uh, I'd rather Josh Hart play the four than be forced into playing the two. Honestly, I, I think that's a much better situation. It does lead to some concerns, again, if Randall gets hurt. And uh, that's why I was somewhat critical of... I wasn't critical of DiVincenzo contract because in a vacuum, four for 54, whatever it was, is amazing value. I, I think he's a great player. I think that's absolutely worth it. My thing is, how does it make sense with Hart and Quickly and Barrett and Brunson and now DiVincenzo, where they're all theoretically all the similar sort of players, who, and Grimes who plays similar positions, where it's like, okay, there's a lot of overlap here. We're going to have to see changes in roles from some of these guys. Also, you could criticize them for trading Obi Toppin for nothing, but once you make the mistake of making the draft pick, you can just keep making mistakes forever and not do anything about it, but like, just, all right, he's gone. We'll do something different. And I think that's, that's totally fine. You're not going to get anything back from him. He wasn't good. You never showcased him. You never gave him an opportunity. You were never going to get anything more back. You accepted your mistake and you moved on. And I think that's, I think that's a sign of a positive front office. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, Obi certainly had some flashes. I, I think well, I mean, last five games of 21-22 put up 27 points a game. Last five games this year, similar numbers. Like he, he showed he can certainly be an excellent offensive player in this league. When given a real opportunity, that opportunity was just never going to come uh, with Julius Randle leading the way on the Knicks. As for the DiVincenzo comment, I think it was an insurance signing in a lot of ways. Um with the possibility of a big trade, um, which may be something we're going to get into, always be on the horizon for Leon Rose, always nominally the agenda. Um, I think there's an expectation that one of quickly Grimes or Barrett will be dealt at some point this year and at the latest next offseason. And I think even Chenzo is a guy saying like, hey, you, you lose someone like that is a pretty good player. You can slot into that position. Yeah, totally. Look, and that's what I said. The contract for him is really good, and when that opportunity opens up, no problem. Now, the thing you mentioned there is like, there's always a big trade in the horizon, but but is there? Like, they we hear about it, it never ever seems to happen, and they seem very, which is totally okay. They seem very reluctant to do it, and I've got no problem with that. But the whispers are always there. But I don't know if that's a real thing or if it's just New York media being well, a trade's going to come. Well, let's just throw the Knicks into a discussion about a big trade because when was the last? Big, big, big trade they pulled off. I can't even think. Maybe there's something just blank in my mind. I can't think of anything. It was it was Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. That was, that was uh, last, eleven years uh, ago, ten years, twelve yeah, years ago, at, at least. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they know they have the assets. I guess to be in that conversation would be that would be the best way to frame it. And I, I think to your point on Divincenzo's contract, something this front office has done really well is, is I think essentially all their contracts are positive value and have aged really well. I mean, RJ, I would say is the worst one and you could, you could still make a pretty good case, especially given how he played in the playoffs, that that's kind of a neutral value deal. 
And I I think there could be a smaller deal trade or, or just trying to turn one of those guards into a bigger wing. There's a number of directions they can go. But I, I think the whole point of DiVincenzo was to give them more flexibility. And I, I think arguably in the meantime, again, given the role that Obi was playing offensively, like make them better even if some of these guys are not getting the right amount of minutes. And, and that's where I think things could get a little bit slippery from last year where, where the vibes were so good. Let's talk about Julius Randle because he sprained his ankle at the end of the regular season. He came back for the playoffs. He clearly wasn't right. He looked terrible. Uh, he's had terrible playoffs in the past. So is it to do with his ankle? Is it to do with the way the playoffs go? It could be a bit of both. But he did have ankle surgery in the offseason. Are we expecting him to be ready to go for training camp? Yeah, he should, he should be 100% healthy for a training camp. And look, that, that was a question we were all asking. It was it was, it was tough to to gauge because at times he, he looked like he could still move. It looked like he could still be pretty explosive. And then you'd see plays where he get his pocket picked at midcourt and he kind of just shrugs his shoulders and, and doesn't really even try to jog back. So there was certainly some inconsistent effort in the playoffs, but he also he needed major surgery this mm. offseason. And you, you got to give him some credit for battling it out. Um, the Knicks certainly still needed him. Obi wasn't really ready for that stage. Um, but he's he's going to be my swing factor coming into this season, Josh, because we, we, we you mentioned the Knicks up, down, up, down. That directly correlates with how Julius Randle has played um, in his four-year tenure. Yep, exactly. It's It really he's for as much as we don't th- – well, um, I don't think you do, but I don't think he's their best player. He Everything does surround what he does, whether he is good, he is bad, he is playing team-centric ball, he is – pouting he is giving no effort whatever he's doing it's all to do with him really that's that's how the season's going to go and we'll see how that ankle injury impacts it we'll get to your starting lineup in a second but today's episode is brought to you by bird dogs and people are going to be real shocked to know that i am wearing bird dogs again i cannot get these things off and i'm waiting for my next shipment to come because they are the best shorts that i've ever worn they're the most comfortable things you could possibly ever wear and This is what this copy says. Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. I wouldn't be able to tell you what Lululemon feels like, but I know that it's going to be impossible for them to be better than what bird dogs feels like. Now, they have invented something called cloud knit fabric. It looks just like khaki, but it stretches. So you get that nice slimmer fit without having to sacrifice any movement. When you get these bird dogs, you're going to put them on. You're going to go, man, how did I live without my bird dog shorts? They're fantastic, and they've got this great new deal as well. So you go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. You enter the promo code LockedOnNBA, and you get a free white tech hat. That's birddogs.com. I can't show you the hat yet. It hasn't arrived. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA, or the promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you, and I promise you, I've got them on. But, you know, you have to pay extra for legs. Let's go through to your projected starting five, Gavin. It is the same projected starting five that I have. And I tweeted this out yesterday, two days ago when this show's released. And I got pushback, and I didn't think I would. Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. I had many people go, ah, it's not going to be Grimes. It'll be Josh Hart that starts. And I I don't agree. Okay, talk me through it. What is, why am I getting pushback? Because I'm not embedded in Nick's discussion or Nick's fandom as much as what you are. Why am I getting pushback of Grimes starting over Josh Hart? It, it might be that Hart, I mean, got that opportunity in the playoffs, but I, I don't see any way that's the case to start the regular season. The Knicks were actually dramatically better in the playoffs when Quentin Grimes was on the floor. And that was despite him not shooting very well because he's one of the few guys in that starting lineup that, gets respect from the perimeter um, and gets guarded out on the perimeter Mm. and gets treated like a capital S shooter. And you absolutely need that around Jalen Brunson, who, who, who worked magic, honestly, to get the Knicks to the third best offense in basketball. And statistically, uh, this is an incredible statement, but it was true. One of the five best offenses in NBA history, given that 
they were a little bit less of a toilet bowl than in last year's because Julius Randle really upped his number of three-point attempts. But Randle was still at only 35% from three. R.J. Barrett was right around 31% from three the whole year. Mitchell Robinson is about as much of a magnet to the basket as there is any human being in existence in the NBA. Um, so you absolutely need Quinn Grimes out there. I would also argue he's a better defender than Josh Hart. Um, and, and he started, obviously, pretty much all of last year. So I'd be shocked at that change. The, the, the shift that I would argue for is Emmanuel quickly in that starting lineup over R.J. Barrett. That's not something that's going to happen, but quickly was exceptional as a starter a year ago. So if there was going to be a change, I would hope it would be that. Again, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll be the same lineup that it was for most of last year. Yeah, it's not going to be quickly over Barrett, but I think it will be quickly over Barrett at the end of games. And we saw plenty of success with that sort of situation. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But you're right, Grimes is the best shooter out of that group. He's the most deadly in terms of spacing. And while you say he is a better defender than Josh Hart, I, I do agree with that. It's it's That's a little bit unfair to Josh Hart because Josh Hart's still the... Let's just say second best perimeter defender on this team. I won't count Mitchell Robinson in that group. So yeah, he is better than him, but Hart's still really good. But Grimes is a better option there. But they've got other op- other guys there. But I, I, I agree. Like it doesn't mean that Hart's going to play fewer minutes than Grimes. He might. It might be one fewer minute. But it's not like Josh Hart came across and played 38 minutes a night straight after the trade. He settled into this little bench role. And how the minutes get distributed will be really interesting. Now, last season, Tom Thibodeau, again, I'll clown on this bloke so many times because he does dumb things often and he has throughout his career. But... When he made the decision, which goes against his ethos 100%, to take Evan Fournier out of the lineup, Derek Rose, his, you know, the guy that he's loved forever, out of the lineup, and replace them with younger, unproven players, that is completely against what Tom Thibodeau does, and it worked. So we're going to go back to this nine-man rotation, and the only difference here is Dante DiVincenzo replaces Obi Top, and remember, Juice McBride was in there until the Josh Hart trade, so you're going to have quickly Hart, Hartenstein, and DiVincenzo. I don't really have a huge amount to talk about there, but what the query is going to be is how do I quickly played 30 minutes a night last season. Josh Hart played 30 minutes a night. Um, DiVincenzo played 26 for the Warriors. Obi Toppin played 12 last season. So who is losing out here? Or are we seeing a sub 30 minute RJ Barrett? I th- that's the direction I would go. Um, I, I think it's going to be a little bit less for for just every one of the guards. Like, I, I don't see any way you make this work and, and you justify giving Dante DiVincenzo, um, how, what, what, $14 million a year mm. um, without everyone losing a couple of minutes here and there. Um, there's just there's just no real way around it. Unless they go truly small and play Julius Randle at center, which again, Tom Thibodeau has never shown any appetite to do um, outside of a couple of desperate fourth quarters where they were already down by 20 points. I'd love to see the stats, and I don't have many. I reckon he played three minutes total at center last season, and then they were like a plus 20 net rating in that time, and then he went, no, 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 that was too good for me. I'm not going to do that. We're going to go yeah. back to this centers who never wouldn't, touched. Wouldn't want that. Wouldn't never want touched to win the that ball. way. There was that, was that one game, and then him and Toppin were playing the four and the five, and they had this huge comeback, and then the next game, we didn't see it ever, and it just never reappeared again. I th- I'm pretty sure it happened once last season. You'd know more than me, but I do vague, I do distinctly remember that one game where it happened, and they had this massive fourth quarter, and then we just never saw it again, because that is the stubbornness that is. Tom Thibodeau. This is an interesting team because there's only two players on this roster under the age of 23. There are a bunch of guys like Quickly who's just turned 24. There's um, Barrett who's just turned 23 who was young, but I'm using this focus, youth focus as guys under 23. There's only two of them. It's Juice McBride and Jalen Martin as they had no draft picks and Jalen Martin, even the other two-way guys they brought in, Dylan Windler and, and Nathan Knight are both 26 or Winler's almost 27. So there's not a lot happening here. McBride did crack the rotation last season. He's on, going to be on the outskirts here, but 
he's would you say that he's firmly is that sort of tenth guy in Tibbs's rotation that you know, when someone gets hurt that he's just going to step in and have a little bit more trust? Yeah, I, look, I, I think he's I think he's one of the luxury pieces in the NBA. Like to have someone who's that elite of a defender um, as a tenth guy, it is a great option. And I think on, on different teams, he would be a surefire rotation player if his shot fully comes around. Last. Year. Um, it was in the low 30s in the G League in the past. He's put up uh, 40% shooting from distance on high volume. So there, there's probably some internal confidence that if, he, if he's ever to get sustained minutes, that could come along. Um, but I, I think similar to a lot of guys with Tibbs, like w- when those minutes aren't assured, you, you see um, kind of rollicking and inconsistent confidence in their ability to shoot. And in turn, you get inconsistent results. Um, and yeah, Jalen Martin, just just sort of an upside bet coming out of the overtime elite league. No thoughts on Dimitro Skipinsev, who was signed to an Exhibit 10. Some of the guys that the Nets, the Nets, the Knicks signed uh, to their Exhibit 10s, uh, Obadiah Noel and Dimitro Skipinsev. I was like, okay, we're... we're, we're Joke Gosh, I, I did not. I did not know the latter name existed until you just said it. Which, so uh, that's, maybe, maybe that, maybe that's an indictment on me. But. Obadiah Noel and Dimitris Skipinsev, uh, yeah, they're two recent signings. But I reckon there is a lot of people who are watching this, and I don't know why I'm going to mention this, but I am, that don't know that Isaiah Roby and Daquan Jeffries play for the Knicks because those 14 and 15 roster spots on the Knicks never play. And the two-way guys play like two minutes a night for four games. They just never played. And that part of that is some injury luck and the tightness of the rotation. But these guys at the end of the bench, they. They just never get out there. And it's been about three, four years in a row that we just never see them. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I think th- there's a world, again, where Julius Randle gets hurt. All of a sudden, Nathan Knight's really important. Isaiah Roby's really important. Uh, the Knicks- Ro- yes, so- Roby is very important in that situation. The, 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 Knicks, the Knicks took a couple a couple of swings at, at that spot. And again, questionable if either of them could provide much of anything. But there, again, there's a world for a 10-game stretch where one or two of those guys becomes really essential. I'll make an argument here. Um, it doesn't really matter because Obi Toppin plays for the Pacers now. I think Isaiah Roby is a better player than Obi Toppin or has shown more as a player in the NBA than Obi Toppin has over the course of their career. Not saying he can ever develop into anything more, but he's not a bad player. And he's just sort of hidden at the bottom of that bench. And if he gets a chance, I think he'll surprise a few people. Now, this is the question that I was referring to earlier on. Is an injury to Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson worse for the Knicks? I know what my answer is. Uh, I think pretty clearly Julius Randle. And, mm. and, and and to to what you inferred earlier, I, I think Jalen Brunson is clearly a better player. Um, I think what he did in the playoffs has kind of gotten underappreciated maybe in the national discourse just because the Knicks went out. Like you you flash back to that game six. He was he was going one on five at times against the Miami Heat. The rest of the Knicks, I can't remember. The, the final numbers were something like 27 of 76 from the field in that game. And they were uh, a possession away from forcing a game seven at home. Because Jalen Brunson was just that good just that brilliant. And yet you look at the guy who replaces Jalen Brunson when he gets, when he gets hurt, yeah. it is Emmanuel quickly who last season as a starter here, let me, let me find it. I have the, I have the stats for you. Um, he put up 23 points, five assists, five rebounds, shot 47% from the field, 40% from three, 85% from the line with elite defense. That is a borderline all-star in the Eastern conference. Julius Randall, we, we just told you the names who are replacing him. And it, it is um, apologies to, uh, Isaiah Roby's Oklahoma City resume. It, it is no one who has had incredible NBA success so far. And, and again, you have a coach who probably does not want to start Josh Hart at the power forward, probably does not want to start R.J. Barrett at the power forward. So I, I, I think Julius is absolutely essential on both ends of the floor, even if his defensive effort is very inconsistent, just what he brings as a body with his physicality and, and, and the ceiling-type plays he can make on that end. They absolutely cannot afford to lose him for any um, extended stretch of time. 
last year when we did when I did this preview, I can't remember if it was with you or with Alex. We did it last year. Part of my concern with Brunson coming over was will Julius Randle and RJ Barrett seed shots to enable him to be the number one usage player on this team? And Barrett did. Randall didn't really. He still took more shots per 100 possessions than what Brunson did. It's, it was close, 24.4 versus 25.4 per 100. Is this the year that we see the, the the switch there where Brunson does take more of those shots, or is that just too hard to get out of Randall's game? I, I think it is going to – the gap is going to narrow, and I, I would hope Brunson would be taking more shots. The, we, we, can, we can get into this a little bit more later, Josh, but the, but the biggest area where he needs to be a little bit more of a chuck – is from three-point range. Last season, he took just 4.7 threes per game despite hitting just under 42% of them. Compare that to someone like Luca, who took eight. Dame took 11. Tatum took nine. Donovan Mitchell took nine. Kyrie Irving took eight. Julius Randle took eight threes per game last year. So Jalen Brunson needs to up that three-point volume. It was it was kind of the first year in his career he really dabbled in self-created threes, and he was, he was shockingly good at it, given um, in Dallas he was not only low volume but low efficiency on those types of attempts. Um, that That's a pretty easy area. You look you look at him doubling up those attempts or coming close to that for him to go from a 24-point-per-game score to closer to a 30-point-per-game score. I'd love him to do it. I just don't know that he can do it. And you're right, he shot 42%. He actually shot 45% from three over the final 50 games of the season, which is insane. But there is a player who reminds me a little bit of Jalen Brunson. He's not the, the same player as Jalen Brunson now, but had some moments like this, who had these high three-point shooting numbers, but when never never was able to really get that volume up, and if he ever did attempt it, that the efficiency would plummet, and that's Malcolm Brogdon. When you'd see him shoot forty two percent from three, he'd do it on like three attempts a game. He go, "Have you take a few more, mate?" And then he'd do it, and he'd be at thirty one percent. Then he'd go back to high percentage on high volume. Brunson's always been a guy that's been around twenty eight to thirty percent of his shots coming from three. Exact same number last season, and he hits them at a decent rate. He just doesn't take very many of them. So I do worry, and that's part of the thing when we look at fantasy projection for next season look at his numbers 42 percent from three that's awesome 45 over the last 50 but that might not stick at that level and if that goes to 50 percent of his shots from three then you'd expect that to come down pretty sizably and that was one of the other concerns with him is he just doesn't generate steals at a high rate and well they're up a little bit they are relatively low so he was awesome his efficiency was through the roof but when you look at even like the final 10 games of last season, 60% from two and 46% from three. I tell you which direction that can go. It's only one way and it's down. So there are there are some worries if you're just looking at projecting while well, it's a trajectory going up. Well, there's only one way that sort of stuff can come down with Brunson. Now, I talked about this a little bit earlier. Has, has Tibbs softened? I talked about playing small ball a little bit more and getting the young guys in, but we have criticized, rightfully so, and I've done it a lot, him for his playing time and minutes. It wasn't that bad. Randall played 36, Brunson played 35, Barrett played 34 minutes, should have been fewer, but he wasn't in that insane situation where they're 50 points up with 10 minutes to go and everyone's playing to the final 30 seconds. Has Tom Thibodeau learnt multiple lessons in one season? It's it's fascinating because sometimes it feels like it does. He he did, and and other times it's like, oh no, same same old Tibbs. <laughs> um, I I was really impressed with what he did during the regular season. I mean, you you mentioned um removing Rose and Fournier from the rotation. Like he was, you, you could go back to what SNYZ and Begley was reporting at the time. He, he was quite literally coaching for his job and, and pushed against yeah. the wall. He said, all right, why don't I just ride, ride with the guys I actually think is the best, which of, of course, ideally you would, you as an NBA coach, Josh, you would do to start the season, but you what know what, not, not, not just for Tibbs for a lot of teams, it doesn't always work that way. And it, they, they were fantastic over that stretch. Like he, he didn't, 
purely do hockey line rotations as he did his first three years on the Knicks, even though the lineups largely stayed the same. Um, he, whether it was him or his staff, like continued to derive like pretty consistent improvement out of the younger guys on this team. Um, got RJ Barrett to pass more um, over the second half of the season, and particularly in the playoffs. And, and then you got to the postseason, and and you ran into some walls with him. And and the most notable one was something I was referencing earlier: Josh Hart, who was um, against all odds an incredible three point shooter for the Knicks in the regular season. Stopped hitting shots and at points stopped wanting to take shots. RJ Barrett, of course, was still very inconsistent from range. And yet he continued to start those guys next to Jalen Brunson. Um, and he continued to uh, not play Quinn Grimes big minutes ag- again until he was just pushed against the wall. And then he finally did. And lo and behold, the Knicks won game five and, and nearly won game six, even though he didn't play Grimes down the stretch. But that was another one of those things that was just exceptionally frustrating to watch and you can say that in one breath and you can say in the other breath like he made like brilliant consistent adjustments against the Cleveland Cavaliers and like completely outcoached JB Bickerstaff and allowed the Knicks in a series where they arguably less talent to completely dominate so there was some really good stuff and there was some really bad stuff with Tom Thibodeau a couple of quick questions Quentin Grimes had an ankle injury in the playoffs didn't he as well Yes. Mm-hmm. So is do you reckon that's part of the the Josh Hart getting those more minutes and studying? I just completely forgot until right then because I remember he had that crazy steal where he's like limping around and then jump back up and got that thing. So maybe that's part of the the minutes change. And the other thing with Tibbs, this is my Tom Thibodeau therapy session where I've got to go, man. I have to admit that he's changed, but I've also got to criticize him on something. How does a man who played and coached Joakim Noah to a top five MVP finish as a point center hub? Take a point center like Isaiah Hartenstein and for years and years and years turn his center position in the in lowest usage players in the entire NBA. It doesn't matter who's there. Robinson, Hartenstein, Noel, they're running at like an 8% usage. Why is he so against the centers touching the ball ever? And Hartenstein is a, is a guy that should be touching the ball. And we've heard those maybe complaints from Hartenstein's girlfriend about not being used correctly, which I 100% agree with. Why is he just gone completely away from centers you, you never, you're never you never allowed to touch it ever, ever again, and that is my strategy? Yeah, so I, th- I think it was a couple of things. Um, he he loved Nerland's Noel, that, that first uh, really good Knicks season uh, during the COVID year in 2021. And I, I think since then, um, he's basically been like, all right, how can I uh, just – have my backup center cosplay as Nerlens Noel. And even though that really is not Isaiah Hardenstein's game, he was to some extent trying to fit him into that mold. And I think a little early in the season, they were trying to give him an expansive role and it just didn't click right away. And, and a big part of it was the injuries. The fact that guys like Cam Reddish were in and out of the rotation, obviously Evan Fournier, Derek Rose were in and out. And, and as a facilitating center, a guy who doesn't have the ball in his hands, like even, even in, outside of a Nikola Jokic, right? But like even in the best of circumstances for an Isaiah Hardenstein, he's not going to get a high volume of touches and it becomes so essential that he gets an opportunity to develop chemistry and get reps in that role. And I think there were so many things going on, like, like it just stopping a priority for Tom Thibodeau. And then they started winning despite the fact they didn't have that. And then there was, I, I mean, you know, Tibbs, like he's not going to make an adjustment in the best of times. He's certainly not going to make an adjustment when things are going well um, to his credit, to Isaiah's credit. That got better the last 20 to 25 mm-hmm. games of the season. Started being used as a hub a lot more. I think getting Josh Hart, who's an excellent cutter, helped a lot playing more minutes with Deuce McBride, who's also developed great chemistry with him, helped a lot. RJ Barrett was really good playing with the second unit, cutting off of Hartenstein. So I think it was a combination of Tibbs inputting that, Isaiah getting his confidence back a little bit, because he just started playing more aggressive on both ends. And I think that created a sense that like every part of his game was more accessible. Um, and then that sort of went away in the playoffs again. So I guess we'll see where they're at to start the regular season. But I, I, I was, my confidence was buoyed by how the year finished. Uh, let me tell you something about Hartenstein is that once the last 10 games of the regular season when Randall was out, 7.1 assists per 100 possessions, which is higher than the number he had 
for the season before with the Clippers. So maybe there's some of a Randall factor there because obviously Randall plays a lot of minutes and it crosses over with both units that when Randall wasn't there, they were using Hartenstein in that role a little bit more and he was still able to do it. So that, that's something just to watch in terms of Hartenstein moving forward. We talked about Barrett a few times. Are they still in on him? You said, you mentioned already a name, like he might be traded. We might see him benched for quickly or Hart getting into starting or closing lineups. Um, where are they with him? We're four years in. There've been marginal improvements, but I, I think it's fair to say he has not lived up to the expectations of a number three overall pick. And even though, like you said, he had a, a decent playoffs, he st- I think he still had the worst net rating on the entire team throughout the playoffs as well. While all the other starters were positive, he was like a minus 17 net rating during that time or minus 17 on off, which again, still concerns me. Are they, they're not, you know, given up completely like how they did with Toppin, but he's not untouchable. Yeah, I, I, I think the best way to sum it up would be they're in on him until they aren't. Um, the, net, the net rating stat, I think, paints a perfect picture where you, you watched him play, right? And there were some some real great moments in the playoffs. The, the stretch um, from game three to, I think, five against Cleveland where they put Karis LeVert on him and RJ just said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go kill this guy. And he did it over and over and over again, went right through him, got to the rim. And I don't think the Knicks control that series the way they do without RJ's one aggressiveness, but two, his his willingness to just repeatedly get into the heart of the defense and make the right play. And, and that is an essential quality on the Knicks because you, you look at him, Randall and Brunson, obviously Randall and Brunson have decent assist numbers, but they're, they're also guys who like to put their heads down, like to create, and, and, and Brunson's efficiency justifies it. Randall's efficiency justifies it sometimes, but he's a slow decision maker. Brunson, for a point guard, can sometimes be a little bit of a slow decision maker, and RJ got much, much better um, in the playoffs at just making the simple play over and over again. His defense, um, as far as I could tell, was substantially better than it was in the regular season, where I, I thought for the second straight year, really took a step back when it looked like he was emerging as as perhaps an above-average player on that end. His second season, it was it was really ugly at points last year. The regular season was absolutely a regression on, on a season before that was a regression. It got really, really bad. We got really low on him. And then the playoffs, he did great. But to your point, the net rating still wasn't there because a high-volume guy who is just not an efficient score of the basketball, and in particular, not very good from three-point range, is just not an ideal fit next to Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. You you plug in someone like, obviously, this is the higher end of this type of guy, but an OG Ananobi, oh, yeah. um, completely different team. But you could even give me a lower-end example of someone who's, who's just kind of a pure three and D wing. I don't know. Like, I mean, Cam Johnson maybe even will be too lofty, but him without the creation, like, I, I think this team would be far better off with someone like that in that kind of role, but because of his contract, because of his, where he was drafted, because of what he means to the city, I, I don't think the Knicks are going to minimize him in any sense um, until they have to when he's traded. Who's the breakout candidate on this team and why is it Quentin Grimes? He was my answer. Yeah, okay. um, it is absolutely Quentin Grimes. He put up 14 points, three rebounds, three assists post All Star break. He shot 51% from the field, 45% from three. If, if memory serves, it was on about eight attempts per 36 minutes, so certainly not low volume, 79%. From the line and he was getting those numbers done josh and and still didn't really get a lot of opportunities in terms of self-creation and look we always reference this with grimes but the pedigree is there coming out of high school he was the top uh point guard recruit mm. in the country coming to the university of kansas they were saying like he was going to be maybe the best freshman they've ever had because of his ability on the ball because of his ability to create you see flashes of it fred katz had this great stat i'm not sure what the final number was but about two months into the season he had the best blow by rate in the entire nba he shot 71 percent at the rim that is absolutely elite for the for a guard 84th percentile in the nba he is a really fantastic passer in those situations when he beats his man off the dribble and in the playoffs and and granted might have, some of this might have been injury 
But I was begging for the Knicks when, when Miami was putting Duncan Robinson on, saying, hey, get Grimes the ball and let him go one-on-one. But he just never got those reps during the season, never got to build that confidence with Dante DiVincenzo in the mix. Obviously, Emmanuel quickly could argue for a bigger role. R.J. Barrett presumably wants a bigger role. Jalen Brunson wants to make an All-NBA run. Um, it's going to be tough for him to get those touches. I, I think if the Knicks are smart, they should force feed him because he is someone who has to be on the floor in the closing minutes of games and, and someone who could absolutely help them with a little bit more work off the dribble. And I, I expect him to top out as right around a 40% three-point shooter this year on volume. I, I think his second-half performance is more accurate of his shooting talent than his first-half struggles suggested. I was big on him last preseason because I just assumed that he was going to be in that mix to start. And then he got injured in the preseason. And when he returned, he basically was put straight back into the starting lineup and looked great. And I love a player like this who does a whole bunch of stuff in college. He's the number one guy, high usage point guard, and then adapts his role, then changes it. And hey, you want me to do this? I'll do this. And then as you see, the season goes on, his usage rate climbs and climbs and climbs. He gets more comfortable. And I think there is a real takeover potential with this guy at some point coming up in the future. We can, people can talk about, yeah, Josh Hart might be a better player now. This guy's 23 years of age. In three years' time, I think he's going to be a, a real monster. I really love what he's able to do and the ability to scale, which some players can't scale up, some players can't scale back. I think he can do it both ways. I think we've already seen that. And I think that when the when the time comes and Barrett is gone or Randall's maybe gone and Grimes is 26, that he will be that second usage player who's getting 25 a night and averaging 18 points and hitting threes at high volume and becoming a really valuable player. So I'm excited to see what he can do this season. What about on the the negative side of that? What about a regression candidate? It, it, it has to be Julius Randall, right? If, if you were if you were to look up regression in the NBA dictionary, you would see a big, big picture of Julius, right? Terrible, terrible, terrible his first year on the Knicks. Um, I, I, I didn't get to watch him a ton on New Orleans, but from what I remember, even in contrast to what he did for the Pelicans a year before, then comes back, uh, puts together a second-team All-NBA season. Incredible hero, face of New York, all that. Terrible playoff performance. He's shook, comes back. He's uh, thumbing down the fans. He is, is cursing people out. He is uh, walking off the court after uh, emotional comeback victories. He's, he's not who you want to be. And then last year, like, he give him credit. Like, he put the work in. He was so clearly in the best shape of his career. Like, had a career high in dunks last season. Was exploding by people, jamming in their faces. Eight three-point attempts per game. At one point, was leading the NBA over a long stretch, multi-month stretch, in three-point attempts because he just cut the long mid-rangers that doomed his efficiency Totally out of the diet. He went basketball vegan last year. It was incredible, incredible to watch. It's true. Um, and 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 like you could you could just look like in terms of efficiency, like like here's the clearest cut percentage. Like first position, his percentile in the NBA in points per shot attempt four years ago, 24th percentile. Three years ago, 42nd percentile. Two years ago, sixth percentile. Last season, 65th percentile. So that is absolutely a roller coaster. I think the good news in terms of him being sustainable is that the three-point shooting wasn't crazy. That first season, he went all the way up to 41%, mostly in empty gyms. That that was kind of a telltale, like, clinker sign saying, hey, this might not last. Went down to 31 in 2022. Last season, again, 35%. So I I think he's in a much better place mentally. It sounds like he's putting in the work again this offseason. To me, the biggest thing is that the the physical fitness is still there. And if it is, like, there's always going to be some ups and downs with him. But I, I think he'll give you pretty close to what he brought last season. I have a feeling that you're looking at his clean the glass profile at, at the same time that I am here, and it is an absolute 
unbelievable thing to have a look at because some of the numbers you take a look at and the ups and downs of it, and it's where I get a little bit concerned about that regression is that he went from the 15th percentile and finishing at the rim to 62nd. That's a big jump. He went from 36th percentile on his mid-range shooting to 40, to sorry, 31st percentile to 71st. Now, he yeah. did cut down a lot of those shots. His three-point shooting improved. Like his short mid-ranges went from 30th to 78th. And like he's probably not going to sit at that terrible season from the year before, but basically every sort of shooting number was a career high last season. Three-point attempts, three-point volume, finishing at the rim. Everything was the best stuff that he's ever done. And when everything is career best, like it is hard to, again, make everything career best again the year after. Having those two gigantic big improvements can be tough to do. So, he, yeah, I, I am a little worried about where those things uh, go with him. But like we've detailed earlier, if it doesn't go for him, well, the, the, the team doesn't go really. That's That's going to be the thing. Who's the most likely player to be traded? We've mentioned a few names here. There's RJ, there's Quickly um, with impending restricted free agency. Who's the, oh, there's Ivan Fournier who absolutely wants to get out of there. Who's the most likely to be traded? Yeah, I get Evan Fournier is the easiest answer. He's, he's going to get traded at some point. He is uh, begged and pleaded through every form of media he can to, to be dealt. So I, I don't see any world where he's on the Knicks by the end of the season. It would, it's not going to be a fun ride if he is. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a more fun answer. I, I think it is one of Emmanuel Quickly or RJ Barrett. And, and this is where things get tricky, right? Because I, as I outlined before, I'm of the belief that Quickly is an infinitely better player than RJ. I, I don't think there is any world where it's close. They are just about polar opposites in terms of the statistical impact they had. I mean, you painted RJ's like absolutely negative net rating. That was the case all season. Quickly, on the other hand, they played like the best team in basketball pretty much whenever he was on the court. And yet you have to ask yourself some real questions with him. Um, how much money does he ultimately want on an extension? The Knicks obviously have to uh, worry about extending Quentin Grimes as soon as next offseason. They have to worry about paying Jalen Brunson probably over $300 million over the life of his next contract. They have to worry about like if if you want to keep Julius Randle just as an asset and and, and have that contract running a little longer. Like if, if he doesn't crap the bed, like that's going to be in the $200 million range. So do you have money to pay a guy who's going to top off on a, on a team with Jalen Brunson as probably just the best six man in basketball, which is valuable and he's going to close games and he is an awesome defender and an awesome shooter and got dramatically better at the rim last year. But does he want to be a starting point guard? And I, I cited the stats earlier. I don't have to cite them again. Like I think if he wants to start in this league and, and thinks he could do more and thinks he could be an all-star one day, I, I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's out of the question. So if, if he ultimately wants that, I think the Knicks are obviously going to try to get some value for him. And, and then RJ, I don't, I don't really need to go over it again. I already outlined the reasons, but I, I just don't think he makes a lot of sense on a team built around Jalen Brunson, again, unless the three-point shooting gets quite a bit better. I'm not a trade machine guy, and I'm not even going to open a trade machine to see if this works, but I just had a thought about it because you're right. Quickly is a starting point guard, and I don't see him being a starter next to Jalen Brunson. I just don't know how that works long-term in terms of the size of those guys and, and all that stuff. Together. Like, Quickly's not small, but he's not huge, right? Uh, same with Brunson. Um, what about a... Look, yes, I don't know if it works or not, but what about a straight-up swap to the San Antonio Spurs for Keldon Johnson? Um... Again, I so let me let me let me share my perspective and then the Knicks' perspective. My perspective on this is I would absolutely start quickly and Brunson together because those lineups kick butt okay. all of last year, even in the playoffs. And I, I think quickly again there, there are going to be matchups like particularly you're playing the Celtics and Jalen Brown's at the two. He's he's going to be given some trouble, but quickly yeah. again statistically, not in terms of his matchup versatility, not in terms of his size, and and more so because of him being an off-the-ball genius was one of the better defenders in the NBA. And even if you lose some matchups because of size, if a team is going to build their strategy around going at a defender as good as Emmanuel quickly, um, a guy with 
I don't know, like a six eleven wingspan. I'm 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 gonna be um, ultimately okay with that. Um, maybe I'm exaggerating the way it's something, it's something crazy. It's plus six, plus seven, plus eight. Anywho. Um, but to answer your question from the Knicks perspective, I could absolutely see something like that happening. I would not be shocked if something like that happened, like getting like a wing who can shoot a little bit better. Again, that would kind of make you want to move RJ Barrett somewhere else, but yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Keldon Johnson fan. I think he would be a, a really good fit there. Look, if you, if you could somehow do that for Devin Vassell, uh, sign me up for a second. I don't know if San Antonio is going that yeah, far. Look, I, to, the, I, I, the more I think about it, like Keldon Johnson's, a little RJ Barrett-ish, like not sure he can rebound or pass or steal or block or do any of those things or be efficient. He's been more efficient than Barrett in his career. So I think he's probably is a better player than Barrett, but he's a little Barrett-ish in terms of a player. But that was just something I'd have thought about. Let's go to um, win projections. Last season, they were 47 and 35, the seventh best net rating in the NBA, plus 3.4. Fangio Sportsbook has them at only 44 and a half wins, which... I don't know. Seems crazy. Now I've dropped them down. I've got them at forty-five because I am worried about if Randall gets hurt, they're cooked. And if Randall regresses, I don't know what happens. So I have dropped them down. You've gone at fifty-two. You're expecting a big, big jump here for the Knicks, uh, Gavin. Yeah, it might be. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at now. I'm looking at next to your number. Looking at the Fanduel number. It might, it might be a tad homerish, tad optimistic. But let me make my case. Uh, Fifty-seven win rate after Josh Hart was traded to the Knicks last yeah, year. And again, sure. that was that was possibly built on some unsustainably hot shooting from Hart. He shot 52% from three and then completely tanked in the playoffs. And, and him shooting like that, like it's hard to overstate the cascade effect that had on every single lineup he was in. And he he honestly played like borderline like a star player last year as a Nick. Um, can they get the same from him um, this season? Uh, who's to say? But I, I just I think they have a very good case to be the deepest team in the NBA. They are not playing a below average player outside of arguably Barrett at, at any mm. spot in sure. their rotation. Um, I, I think Brunson has a chance to make a leap this year. I think there's a world where Grimes is substantially better. I, I don't see why Emmanuel quickly with the way he works won't be a better player this year. I, I think the the obvious chemistry element you get from bringing DiVincenzo in, but also the fact that he's just such a good fit with his ability to further space the floor, to be a solid defender, to be yet another undersized rebounder who's absolutely elite in that capacity relative to his size and position. I, I just think this team is ultra deep. There is some downside there. If Brunson gets hurt, m- more specifically if Randall gets hurt, yeah, things things could go bad. And, 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 and you're banking on him continuing to be reliable. He has been throughout his career ever since missing his entire rookie season. He hasn't been a big injury risk. Um, so I, I think this team has a chance to be really, really good. And I think people are underrating the continuity factor there. That, that is about as good as any team in the league from last year. And, and a team true. that, again, was playing, once they got Josh Hart, about as well as any team in the league last year. So it's those two things that have me very optimistic about how many games the Knicks can win. Let's play a game. Let's do the gritty Knicks version. Now, the teams you've got to pick for here, the Mavericks, the Bucks. I don't know why I chose that Bucks logo. The Bucks, the Pacers, yeah. the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, and eight rebounds per game. So it's Knicks only. We're one player. You can only use him once. Um, the way we're scoring this rarity score-wise is we're not competing against millions of other people. But what it is is that we're looking at the games played for either of the two teams. We choose the lowest of those numbers, and then I rank the lowest of those numbers. So if someone played 400 games for the Knicks and one for the Mavericks, and you choose that player, well, you get a really low score because they only appeared once for the Mavericks. And then for the eight rebounds per game, it's eight rebounds per game in a season while playing for the Knicks, and then we rank those on how many total games that player played in their career for the Knicks. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start. Let's start Mavericks. I'll I'll, I'll throw out one of my uh, all-time favorite Knicks, uh, Frank Nilakina. 
Frank Nilakina, future Hornets legend Frank Nilakina. That is obviously correct. The score on that is not bad. It's actually, I thought it would be um, higher. It gives you a 39.77. He played 105 games for the... Uh, which team? For the uh, Mavericks. It's 105 games for the Mavericks. That's 39th percentile out of everyone who played there. So where are we going next? Oh, uh, whew. all right. Let me let me think this through. Um, we can go Timberwolves. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves. All right, let's 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 do this. Yeah. All right. I want to... This is going to be too high of a percentage. I want to... Stefan Marbury is my all-time favorite Nick, but let me let me try to think of someone a little bit rarer that has played for both teams oh there's some good ones Taj Gibson Taj Gibson is correct unfortunately for you it is a little too correct because he played a lot of games in terms of the guys crossing over between these teams he is like the third highest amount of games luckily oh, no. luckily for you that Stefan Marbury was the first there, so you would have got 100 if you had chose Marbury, but Gibson is a 90.63. Marbury was the most. Someone asked if I can relay the highest and lowest, and you know, I might as well do that. The lowest number uh, of games played, or the lowest score you could have got was Darko Milicic, who played eight games for the Knicks. Wow. So there you go. You, you could have got a, an eight-game Darko in there. Um, all right, let's 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 do the next one. Where are we going with the next one? Um. Is that is that the Bucks in there? That is the that is the Bucks. I know it's a. Te- I don't know why I chose that logo. That is the Bucks. Okay. All right. Let me. I gotta. I gotta think this through because there's no one at the top of my head. Oh, there's a real good. There's a real good one. The Bucks. I just. I just saw. All right. Um, Nick's Bucks. Um, I know Bobby Portis, but again, that's going to be one of the highest ones. I think. Um. Trying to think of like a guard. I feel like there's there's a guard that played a lot for both of them, or not so much for the Bucks. Yeah, that that's where you want to go. You want to go for the ones that played a few games for one of the teams. We'll, All right, let me let me let me, let me let me let me circle back to the All Bucks. Right, we'll go back uh, to can, them. I, can I go? Can I go? Because I just came to my head. Can yeah. I go? Alfred Payton for the Pelicans. Alfred Payton for the Pelicans. You can go with Alfred Payton for the Pelicans. Let's see where that. And takes us Alfred Payton, a uh, very weird New York Knicks tenure. He only played 42 games for the Pelicans. I thought he played more than that for them. Um, so that gives you a score of 22.2 for Alfred Payton. That's not a bad score. 22, right, oh, 20.1, then, sorry for that one. All right. And then Pacers, I'm going to go uh, Chris Copeland. Oh, I, that, that's the best one. I, I hope it works. I hope it's a good score. I love the Chris Copeland one. He played about 10 yeah. games for the Knicks, I feel like, after signing that contract. Um, Chris Copeland. Oh, there you go. 13.61 for Chris Copeland. I didn't announce the uh, the highest score or the low score for that. So for the Knicks Pacers, the highest score one was Mark Jackson, of course it was. And the lowest score is Solomon Jones. There you go. Mm. Um, all right. So we've got Bucks and then the eight rebounds per game. Okay. Um Let's go. We could start with the eight rebounds per game. Um, I'll tell you, there are yeah. 30 players in New York Knicks history who have averaged yeah. eight. They don't have to have qualified with a certain amount of games played for the Knicks. That's that's yeah. an interesting thing. 30, 30 individual players who have had seasons of averaging eight rebounds per game. Uh, and it had to be when they were on the Knicks? Had to be when they were on the Knicks. And you're looking for the guy who played the fewest career games for the Knicks. Oh. That's a great category. All right. 
I want to say someone like Earl Barron, maybe if he's played like two games on the Knicks, but um, mm. I, I doubt he's on there. All right. Uh, is that is that an answer? It's you, you might you might want to lock that one in. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's go Earl Barron. Earl Barron is correct. And that is the lowest possible score you could get let's for that go. one. Earl Barron let's played go. eight games for the Knicks and averaged over <laughs> eight rebounds. I'll tell you what's the other. There's two really yeah. popular names here who are very low scored. DeAndre Jordan played 19 yeah. games. And Joakim Noah played 53 games for the Knicks. And I don't remember. I, I couldn't. I couldn't have done that one. I wouldn't <laughs> want to win that way, Josh. <laughs> I can't believe you played 53 games. Anyway, last one is the Bucks. Let's uh, let's see what you get here. I hope I hope you get the one that I I hope you get. But I don't I don't know if you will. But it is a, a legendary one if you can get it. Can can I get a hint on that? I'm really I'm struggling here, Josh. I need he, a little help. He's a current he's a current NBA player. Wow. All right, and barely played for the Knicks and for the Bucks. He barely played for one of the two teams. Barely played for one of the two teams. I should know this. Oh, that's a great mm. one as well. Can I get a position for him? Is that too? Is that uh, too? There are, he's a big man. Bigish he's man. Big yeah. Bigish man. P- power forward center. Power forward center that played for the Knicks and oh, well, Bucks. Chris Copeland qualified for this one as well. I didn't realize that. Oh, that's a good one. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm brain dead right now. All right, I'll. I'll, I'll take the hit on it. I'm just, I'm just going to go Bobby Portis. All right, let's go with Bobby Portis, and I'll tell you the good ones there. Bobby Portis, I don't think he's as high as you assumed him to be. Let me have a look. Yeah, yeah I guess he didn't play that much for the Knicks. No, he didn't. He, what did he play, like a season there? Yeah, 66 yeah. games for the Knicks. That's 27.43. So not a bad overall score there for Bobby Portis. The one that I was hoping he would get was Thanasis Antetokounmpo, who played oh, two yeah. games for the Knicks. And then I saw another one, Luke Cornett. Played one game for the Bucks. I don't know when that happened, but he played one game for the Bucks, and he would have been one there. And then Wes Matthews played two games for the Knicks as well. There's some that's, real that one I should have gotten. That's yep, he classic Nick uh, coming over in the in the KP trade. Oh yeah, and then Langston Galloway played three for the Bucks. So there were a few really random ones in there, but we got through it. You get a good score in the end. Gavin, thank you for coming on. Tell us what's going on at Locked On Knicks. Oh man, we, we we got a we got a full week up ahead. We're going to have um, a special guest. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna say who, but from from Kings Nation on to debate uh, Jalen Brunson, De'Aaron Fox, Julius Randle, Demontis Sabonis, the the former best low key rivalry in the Eastern Conference that no one really cared about outside of those two players. Uh, so that's coming up later this week. We'll have our thoughts on the Josh Hart extension. And uh, yeah, Josh, you you always do incredible work. Big fan of your pod. So uh, always happy to come on. Thanks thanks for bringing me in. Appreciate it, Gavin. Go check out Locked On Knicks for all the stuff they've got coming up through the offseason. Gavin, thanks again for coming on. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.